This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military, and we don't just focus on the rumors, such as the Marines being crazy or the Army being stupid. We actually figure out from the people themselves what the story is with the military. So I hope you enjoy this podcast that we have for you today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another outtake episode of the American Military Brit. And for this one, yeah, we've got some more good clips for you to listen to that were taken out of the various podcasts, the 10 podcasts that I had. And I'm going to begin with Tamia. Tamia talks about um, why she joined the army. And um, like I said, we all have our different reasons. But one thing that I found interesting with her was, first of all, she didn't remember, which was, which was quite funny. But um, it was also the fact that she thought it was just because of recruiting. And I just don't remember ever seeing any recruitment videos. I mean, obviously, I was in England and stuff like that. So I don't remember seeing anything from the, the British military or anything like that. But just in general, like recruitment had nothing to do with me joining. So I found this story very interesting. So yeah, here it is. One thing I am always curious about with my my guests that I have on here is why you joined the the army, like why you joined military service. Like, was there a specific moment? Because I know for me, it was just like, okay, I was just kind of wasn't really going anywhere with my life. So I just thought, you know, let me just make a big change. But for you, like, what was the reason you went to ROTC and the the army? That's a deep question, actually, because when, um, you know, I went on to tell you that I'm on the last or I joined the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting because, like I said, my degree was in criminal justice. So how did I end up going to ROTC? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I don't remember because I, I tell you what. Hmm. It might have been recruiting, you mm. know, ROTC here on campus. Because I actually got an ROTC pretty close to the beginning of, you know, I mean, I literally was four years ROTC. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that they had some type of recruitment or something going on where there was some, you know, uniformed officers that were, you know, talking to us when we were signing up, you know, coming through registration, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's interesting. I can tell you the beginning of everything else that I've done. You know, how'd you become a chaplain? How'd you become a filmmaker? Why did you become a, you know, police officer? But mm -hmm. when you said that, why did you join the service? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, my father was an Air Force officer. Right. Yet I never like saw my dad as an Air Force officer. You know, my dad was this, you know, great corporate businessman, you know, so I didn't even know that he had done military service until I started thinking about ROTC and mentioned it to him, you know, and he was like, well, you know, you know, I was in the Air Force and I'm like, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old going, I didn't know that, you mm -hmm. know, um, but I tell you what, I, I, if I think back, I know it had to be part of my service, you know, mm -hmm. my, my, cause my whole life has this thread of service all the way through it. 
what's funny when I tell people, I says, yeah, I was a Girl Scout. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you start All with right. that. <laughs> that. That's like the first level of service that, you know, Boy Scout, Girl Scout when someone's young, you know. And then when I was in uh, at, at the high school, I was in student council. You know, I always was the person who wanted to be the champion of everybody. I wanted to be the person who would speak up when no one else would. Right. You know, when everybody else is in the corner grumbling, I'm going, why don't you just go tell them? Let me go tell them, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think that military service is probably what how I got convinced that that would be a good step for me, you know, to go into service for my community, for my country. I'm a big patriot. Right. You know, I've always been a patriot since I was a kid. You know, I love my country. You know, I love what the USA stands for, you know. So becoming a military service member, I'm sure once someone had that conversation with me, seemed like a no-brainer because, like I said, I did four years, you know, in ROTC. And not everybody does that. You know, some people might come in and then maybe three years, maybe two, you know, but I literally did it from the beginning. So I, I have to believe that it was probably someone recruiting me, someone literally, you know, seeing me when I was going through admissions to come into the the, the university that said, did you ever think about the Army, you know? Yeah. So I kind of want to go back on what I said earlier about, um, you know, recruitment had nothing to do with me joining because my friend Sean actually told me about him. He wants to join the army and that was the British army and how, yeah, I should think about it. And yeah, you know, maybe join the Royal Air Force and all that stuff. So if you want to count that as recruitment, that did kind of have something to do with me joining. But speaking of Sean, I'm actually going to have a clip here of Sean Peachin next and he talks about EC duty in, in basic training, and that was so funny because he talks about how he would sleep and then the other guy would sleep and you'd rotate, and that's exactly what we would do as well. But um, then he gets into the fact that the whole like place, the, there was cameras everywhere and the MTIs could see everything. So I found that very interesting. But yeah, here's Sean talking a little more about that story. And then I think the only other time that I really had anything that was interesting in basic training anyways was, um, so as you remember, you used to have to do the door guard duty, right? Where, yep. you, you know, you stay up, yeah, control, you do those and like, yeah, basically the door knocks, you got to slide the thing, you got to have them yep. present the ID card. Then you got to be like <sighs> checking one common access card, staff yep. sergeant, you know, whatever the mm-hmm. guy's name is. And then... <laughs> You got to look at your entry list and be like, can I can I let this guy in? Because if you let him in without check-in, he's going to light you up. If you do one thing wrong on this thing, he's going to light you up. Yep. And uh, so I'm like sitting here trying to check it out or whatever. And anyways, I came up with a plan with the, with the guy because it was always twos. You did it in twos. I was like, hey, bro. I was like, I'm super tired. We're like deep into this like six week experiment because there's only six weeks at the time when I went okay. and I was like you know six weeks plus the zero week so like technically like seven whatever right. but like I was like hey man like I got an idea I was like what if you sleep for half of the door guard shift and then I'll sleep for half That's of the door guard did. shift yeah. yeah and I was like that way they will, you know, we'll be able to get some rest. I was mm-hmm. like, I'd much rather only, I'd much rather get four hours of sleep than zero hours of sleep staring at the wall because I'm already about to like fall out of my face sitting here like looking out the thing. So I'm sitting there and like I go to sleep. I wait, I go to sleep first. I wake up, fix my bed, whatever, because you got to weasel in like a little burrito or whatever. And then you mm-hmm. get out and then I fix my bed and I'm like, hey man, like, okay, go ahead. Anyways, they, as soon as I get up, as I, I was like, dude, this, there's no way. They, as soon as I wake up, they call. 
status check. They want to know, you know, all, you got to tell how many people are in there, mm. you know, or whatever. And so I tell them, you know, like, you know, 36 or 24, whatever the number was, accounted for. And this lady's like, are you sleeping? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Nope, not sleeping. I'm talking to you. And then, so I tell this guy, Tally, I was like, you know, that's what we call him. His, his name is Towler, and we call him Tally. I was like, hey, you know, just go back to sleep or whatever. And so anyways, a couple days later, they take us down, because like I said, we're deep into uh, training. So then they take All us right. down. They're showing us the whole operation. Now we're getting like the behind, you know, the inside baseball on how basic training works. And we right. see... The whole place is wired for sound. They were watching you. They could hear you. So at any time, they could the main bays, they could clue in their camera and their microphone to your bay. So they knew that we were sleeping when they asked that question. Oh, wow. And so we were just, that's why she asked the question, like, are you sleeping? I don't know, because I was like, I didn't sound tired. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, they, they could see the whole thing. So because they wanted to make sure that nobody was like committing suicide. Or, right. That's how yeah. they knew. In the middle of the night when you were doing, if you remember your red line inspection, that's how they knew that you were up. If you were up past bedtime doing the red line inspection, that's how they knew Mm. is they would clue in on these cameras and then they would come into, they would rage you. Like all the TIs would rage you because you're supposed to be sleeping, but Mm. you're in there doing your inspection because you don't want to fail. Because if you fail, then you got to like push till your arms give out. And so like, we're just like, oh man, I don't want to do that. So yeah, they were watching the whole thing. They knew I was sleeping. They knew the whole apparatus, (laughs) but they didn't ever say anything. So they had to applaud it for being brilliant. No. That's what it had to be, right? By the way, it was not Sean Peachin who got me into the, <laughs> who was talking about the British Army. It was actually a, a different person. It was Sean Madigan. Shout out to Sean Madigan. Because um, I'm sure you know Sean Peachin is not British, so as much as he'd like to be. But uh, anyway, moving on to the next one. Now it's going to be Moses talking about basic training, tech school. We were talking about those two things. But the the most, like the biggest thing, I guess, is, is at the end, towards the end of this clip, he's talking about how much have you kept in contact with people. And I tell you, like one thing in the Air Force is it's very difficult to keep in contact with people because you go all over the place. You go all over the world. And um, there's a bunch of people from like basic training and tech school I haven't seen in like, you know, since I joined like 11 plus 11 years now. So um, yeah, we, we talk about a couple of things. So yeah, enjoy. Obviously week eight when we do the whole, you know, we can go around town and mm-hmm. all that stuff. That was cool just yeah. to kind of, we went and saw um, the last Harry Potter movie. Really? It was, yeah. Okay. The Deathly Hollows. Uh, was it part two? Maybe it was part one. I don't know. But, okay. But we went and did that and it was just like America's so big and there's so much in America. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is like hence why I joined because mm-hmm. I was going to join the British military but luckily wow. joined the American one Okay, and you know just the I love the whole kind of I love military bases because they're just like their own city yeah. and you're just like oh this is sweet yeah. like, this is great like to go around Lackland and see how big it was like yeah. Lackland was huge but yeah. then you get to Goodfellow and it's like <laughs> oh not so huge like this is I'm like oh this is there's like nothing here mm-hmm. so that was more like feeling like you're at home because there was a club that we went to, Club 84. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, there was we went there. I, I, there was Midnight Rodeo. Yeah, we there went there was, as well. Which one was 84? Was that Roses or whatever it was? I think it was maybe called something else before, but there was another one that was like before that that people would always tell me about, but I can't Is remember it what it was Is it the one that had like three different like dance areas or whatever? Uh, club 84 did not. That had just one dance area, but... 
or maybe it did have multiple. I don't remember. It was so. <laughs> I mean, at this it's point, it was blur. eleven years yeah, ago I now. Know. So I, know. I don't remember I know. that far back, man. Like I don't even remember last week. You know, That's fair. So, That's fair. <laughs> eleven years ago. But Goodfellow was more like my. You know, oh, I feel a little more at home. Still American, but, you mm -hmm. know, this place, because good, there was nothing there. There was so, nothing there, exactly. It's just like, you know, it's like when I got to Missouri and I was in Knob Noster, Missouri. Knob Noster. Yeah, okay. at White Air Force Base, so. Have you have you yeah. been back to Goodfellow since? Uh, no. There's a distinct difference. Yeah, when you're like, when you're not like a little airman. I mean, just it. like town-wise. Okay, it's, it's built up. Oh, it's, it's like a changed. lot more built up. Okay. Because, like I said, they had an oil boom, right? Oh, yeah, and of course. there's all yeah. this extra stuff and extra people there now, and you're like, who are you? Ooh. It's weird. I want to go back, though. Yeah, you, you got you to cool. check it out if you ever have to go out for any training. But <laughs> yeah. before before you before uh, you move on, I just want to ask you something. Yeah, so as sure. far as, like, the people that you've met in tech school, have you seen any of them since? And I don't mean, like, directly after, right? But, like, in terms of those relationships that you built there in that short time span and how that kind of goes and that bonding through the – stressful classes and all that yeah um do you still keep in contact with people yeah um because like i said one of my friends went to kansas so i saw him mm -hmm. there was a couple of guys i met that funnily enough were in the missouri reserves oh so okay. they were at whiteman <laughs> and they were telling me about whiteman and missouri and all this stuff and yeah so i saw those guys a couple of times there's one dude who is like my roommate and one of my friends. I haven't seen him since tech school. Wow. I've got him on Facebook, but yeah, yeah, it's just it's just wild to think that I haven't seen him in 11 years. But even like some guys in basic training yeah. who I was like, yeah, we're going to meet up and we're going to do this, do that. Yeah, haven't never. seen him in like 11 years. And right. you're like, wow, I don't right. even know what this dude looks like anymore. So I, yeah, you know, as far as keeping in contact with them on social media, yeah, yeah yes, but... As far as seeing them face to face, I've seen a lot of them because people go everywhere, don't they? They do. Like, we're just we're all over the place. One, this dude that I haven't seen since he was like one of my closest friends in basic training. Mm -hmm. He was his first base was Guam, so I, mean, oh, I ain't gonna go yeah. to Guam, am yeah. I? You know, so. that's not your first, you know. Yeah, stink is the you know. Let me fly across. So yeah, okay. Let me tell you about something that you'll always hear wherever you go in the Air Force, or at least you'll definitely hear it if it's a place that notoriously has a bad reputation, like Cannon, New Mexico, or Minot in North Dakota, and that is, this assignment is what you make of it, and that's something that I certainly heard when I went to Missouri, because, you know, People call it misery and things of that nature. And even when I got there, you could feel that people just weren't happy. And there was just a lot of people who were down there and, and things like that. And, you know, in this next, um, this next little clip, I talked to Eric about, you know, assignments and they are what you make of them pretty much. And that's, uh, like I said, that's just a motto that you hear constantly throughout the Air Force, but not even necessarily with the bad places. I mean, he says in here that even places like Hawaii people dislike, and it really is just whatever you're into. But yeah, assignments are what you make of them. So here's myself and Eric talking about that. Yeah, <laughs> man. So, but, it, but I mean, like I said, man, is I, I try to make the best of wherever I go anyway. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't a bad assignment. I mean, like I said, I learned a lot of stuff down while I was there anyway. So, man, it, it's cool. You know what I mean? It wasn't that bad. So, yeah, trust me, like for people listening, like that's one thing you always hear in the Air Force is 
make the best of where you are. Yeah, it, yeah, is, it yeah. is what you make of it because obviously Missouri, you know, they call Missouri misery. Yeah, misery. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, when we get there, they're just like, yeah, just, just you know, it is what you make of it. And But the thing is you felt people were miserable there. Oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah. just a lot of like – people just you know and of course there's like you know suicides that happen. oh yeah two of uh two of my supervisors oh snap so, man so wow after well, you know, well it's interesting because like just being in the military you know especially when i was on active duty i've met a lot of people that have been traveling mm -hmm. and i've met people that absolutely love my not air force base yeah. they would go back in a heartbeat and then i met people that absolutely hate hawaii you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's 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 like you said, it's all relative to who the person is and just how they perceive things. And so, I've, like I said, I just I just made it up in my mind, man. Like, I'm not about to let this place control me. I'm going to just make the best of it. So, I started. I, I was already into fishing. So, and that's what they do down there. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to hunt for the first time down there, man. Uh, I, I mean, it was just, it was, I just made the best out of what I could down there, man. And it, it just turned out to be pretty good, man. So Yeah, because like Minot is like. Most people consider that a death sentence, <laughs> yeah. so maybe there's like there and like, uh, what's what is it? Alaska, hey, Alaska, yeah, yeah, because they're yeah. just so cold there. But the thing is, like, people talk about you know hunting. If you love hunting, yeah, and all this yeah. stuff, then you should go there. So I guess it's just like what you enjoy, pretty much. One thing that Josh said, which was very interesting, was he talked about he did embassy guard duty, and that's something, honestly, that I've never heard of, of anybody doing. I mean, you hear people doing, like, escort duty and, you know, having to escort certain foreign nationals to places and keep an eye on them and whatnot, but I found this story very interesting that he deployed and he did these things. He mentioned Saudi Arabia, and um, it's funny because I actually ask, like, basically the same question twice on this. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was really interested just to find out as much as I could about it. I mean, obviously, with these deployments, a lot of things are classified, but he does talk very well about, about that stuff and give good insight. So um, this, is, this is a very interesting clip here of Josh talking about doing embassy duty on deployments. And then another thing, actually, you were talking about embassy duty. Did you yes. ever do that? You did that, like, mm -hmm. in a, like, wherever it was? Was it in, like, Iraq or wherever it was? Well, if you can say, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's uh, I mean, you can look it up. It's not, it's not like, class or anything. It's a Marine security guard. And what we do is protect classified information and mm -hmm. American personnel okay. from threats overseas originally. Uh, it origi originally it was to protect only classified information, but then Benghazi happened and our mission changed to protect classified information and American personnel because that wasn't part of the original mission, Right, <laughs> which I always thought was hilarious, but I don't know. Um, so Embassy Guard is a special duty assignment where you get chosen from your unit and then you get put into Virginia Quantico and mm. you just spend like three months, I want to say. Um, just learning how to protect an embassy. Hmm. So you get a clearance and whatnot because you're going to be dealing with class sensitive information. Hmm. Um, while that sounds like we're dealing with it, we're, we're, we're not. Right. Like we're not doing – we're literally standing inside of a bomb-proof box going, excuse me, can I see your colored badge? All right. Is this color right? Is it expired? Nope. I can push this button let him in the door. Yes, I did such a good job. <laughs> and then I also have to give 
things that people need. So people will come up to the embassy be like, or come up to me and be like, hey, I need this to do my job because you have IT at the embassy and whatnot. And you're like, okay. And then you just go and let them in the proper place. So we're glorified doormen. Okay. Yeah. Did you, so, well, if you can say, like, did you ever, like, go to certain embassy locations and, like, actually do that, like, yeah. overseas? Yeah. So um, everyone gets stationed at a certain amount of embassies um, for a certain amount of time. Everyone, it depends on what your job is. If you're a detachment commander, meaning you're in charge of that little pocket of Marines in um, Saudi Arabia. So I was in Dahran, Saudi Arabia. Okay. I say it Dahran because all the diplomats and the people there would be like, why are you saying it like an American? Say it like us. And we're like, okay, I must assimilate. Mm, okay. And so everyone here thinks I'm being pretentious, but over there I'm being polite. So right. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. But um, yeah, you go over there, you do your assignment, you literally just help the embassy run. And if there is a threat, um, like... I don't know anything that does threaten the embassy of classified information or American personnel, then we have certain standard operating procedures that we go through and we make sure nothing bad happens or okay. try. Okay. Keyword try. Sweet. Ross had a lot of good war stories as people who have been in the military, you know, back in the day, if you want to say that will typically have, they'll tell you a lot of those war stories from back in the day. But uh, one thing in particular that Ross talked about was the Haiti mission and how they went out to Haiti and, you know, they went over there for humanitarian support and all that. And he talks about, you know, the environment and how, you know, there was no electricity, no air conditioning, all that stuff. And obviously it's a hot place. And, you know, so you will throughout your career, you know, especially even in the Air Force, you know, you'll, you'll go to places that, you know, perhaps don't have the same resources as the U.S. does. So it's just interesting to hear his experience of going over there and how they were trying to help out and whatnot. So here's Ross talking about that. The Haiti mission was, uh, we weren't alerted. What happened was when the invasion was, was called off because at that time, Colin Powell is Haitian. Mm. And President Carter went down there diplomatically, talked General Cedrus into taking probably a, a pot of money to retire and leave the country. Mm. All the stuff that was going to go on in Haiti was canceled. And then a month later, a devastating hurricane hit. So the Navy had, a, I think it was um, the Eisenhower off the shore. It might be the right one. But they had an aircraft carrier as a hospital off the coast. We all flew out there. Uh, to do uh, humanitarian support with generators and right. water purification and all that. And uh, terrible weather there because it's very, very humid. Mm -hmm. And imagine the island with no electricity, no air mm -hmm. conditioning. Right. Uh, it was an interesting dynamic, and there was a lot of disease problems and challenges from the hurricane that uh, we tried to help with. In this next clip, Aaron talks about his deployment experience, and the interesting thing here was he talked about the Navy experience, but particularly with the officers or the pilots, and he talks about how, 
you know, depending on where you came from, if it was the academy, if it was ROTC, if, you know, wherever you came from, there was a different experience and a different way that certain officers would would act. But additionally, there's a bit more stuff that he talks about where he, he kind of talks about, you know, activities and playing sports on an aircraft carrier and things of that nature. And, you know, how that like they'd play music over loudspeakers and how long the work days were and things like that. So this is this is um, Aaron talking about those different experiences. You know, we just we just do workups and we were towards the end of, you know, Desert Storm was over in three days, essentially. Right. Um, you know, we had a lot of planes leaving with bombs and we're still hitting targets. I kind of picked up on that. And um, we had a great relationship with the pilots. Um, didn't matter your rank. When you're out to sea, you don't salute. Oh, really? um okay. we we even the officers and pilots call each other by first names they're they're not all about that mm. the naval academy guys are very much sir no sir and okay. you know want that authority we gave it to them and a lot of the rotc rotc pilots yeah. um hey man you know, as a sorority guy you know in college and they'd go party with us you know it's like the separation of power they didn't care because yeah. a lot of them weren't going to make it a career. They went to fly and they move on to the airlines, but it was pretty cool. And then the, the academy guys would always have that separation, even even from them, you know. And so it's a different regime, really. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we, out to the deployment, we would have, um, you know, wreck days. We'd throw the football on the flight deck. Mm -hmm. Falling wasn't fun. Uh, you know, non-skid is, a, is a, a mixture of asphalt and concrete. It's a very... Um, heavy material and then they um, they actually rake it and build lines in between it for drainage and uh, falling on it uh, was very painful so it'd be going out for a pass yeah. they would put hoops we got to play basketball on it mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many footballs we threw out in the ocean um, right. you know and, and loudspeakers and whenever new music was being um, uh, back home um, I can't name a couple songs right now but whenever uh, a new song was out in the states of course we would never know right. they would play on the flight deck and the loudspeakers and then you know it's pretty cool they made it as fun as they possibly could but when it was work uh very easily to get into 20 hour days no. the longest stretch of time was was 20 hour days i think for like 17 days in a row right. of just non-stop grinding and that'll make a man of you real quick i talk a lot on here about unique experiences right and with Lucretia, she had a very rare experience in which she got to go to the Capitol to cover the whole Capitol attacks, riot, whatever you want to call it, that went on over there. Um, and to get that experience, I thought was really cool because as someone who's in the Guard or Reserve, I think she was in the Guard at the time, and to get sent over there for that mission i just thought was was really really awesome and being a journalism or being public affairs which she was you know to get sent over there and experience that and get to cover that as a journalism person myself i thought was really cool so here's lucretia talking about that uh yeah. we did have some people sleeping on the floor in the Capitol building. Oh my gosh, that was a huge story, right? <laughs> and so one of the things I did was snap a photo when we got caught because somebody like donated cots or they made sure we got cots or something like that. 
So I snapped a photo and then one of the security forces, people got mad at me. They were like, did you take a picture of me sleeping? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Because they want to talk about us where we're sleeping. But I mean, yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Camping out in the Capitol building was interesting, especially with army people. <laughs> Oh, army people. <laughs> With the <laughs> army people. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was good times. We had like one scare while I was there. I know um, <clears throat> a lot of my coworkers stayed. I was on order, so my time was a little funky. But a lot of my coworkers did stay um, up until the inauguration just to make sure everything was good. Yeah. Um, but there was just like one thing that happened where there was a fire not too far away. And so they wanted to mobilize like all these security forces people to go check out this fire. Um, and I remember seeing, I don't know who this kid was or, but he was like a young soldier and he thought it was hodgepodge. Like he did not want to be there. He thought this was all a scam or a media I don't know, something yeah. <laughs> like a like a hoax or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember thinking about that, like, that's the thing about the Guard and Reserves. Like, you don't have to come here, right? Yeah. You can literally say no thanks. So, and, and that that's something that sticks with me because you have to watch out for stuff like that. Like, if you see people on, especially missions like that, that are so important, like, if they don't want to be there, then they shouldn't be there because all it does is, like, stop the mission or inhibits the mission so anyway yeah <laughs> i mean yeah in the yeah because in the guard and reserve you pretty much get to pick like where you want to go basically yeah. I, mean, I suppose in like the covid situation it was like the guard just got sent there they didn't really have right a choice. um especially for those like security forces type units like i don't know if they had a choice or not like they stay in buckets like this is yours so you're gonna go this is yours for for us it was a little different um yeah i got to take a selfie with chief bass and general cq brown on the on the line (laughs) that was the highlight of my career Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the American Military Brit, the outtakes. We're going to have more outtake episodes coming, so be sure to tune in and listen to all the different things that I unfortunately had to cut out of the different podcasts. So tune in for that to hear some more great content. So thank you for listening and goodbye for now.